unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Great to be back with you once again after an off week. We are back in the saddle and doing it again. Coming up on this episode, our friend Trace Trilco. He is with the Sons of UCF live web stream. We're going to talk some UCF sports and a few other things as well. Trace also has our TV theme. And he is standing by in the virtual green room and will join us in just a couple of moments. First, Cam is back. So Cam Newton, who uh, did not become a rousing success with the New England Patriots, re-signed by the Carolina Panthers as Sam Darnold, you know, got off to the, the great start. Of course, Christian McCaffrey was healthy then. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, I should say, was healthy then. Uh, things kind of went south, and they said he was back to seeing ghosts like his New York Jet days and uh, P.J. Walker. I uh, love that. I love him as a player, um, but definitely has not uh, proven this stage to be the frontline quarterback. So Cam Newton was re-signed, scores on his first two plays from scrimmage in a part-time role, and uh, won't be long before he's uh, back running the whole show because they're paying him millions of dollars to be there. So there you go. So the Bucks lose to the Washington football team and Tom Brady pouts. Now, you know, Tom Brady will, will say a million things when things go right for him, which is the majority of the time. But when he loses, and look, I'm not saying he's got a, you know, being a sore loser makes you a, makes you better in some in some respects. But have a little more class than, you know, just giving the media like, you know, 20 seconds and moving on. Just, you know, if you're going to if you're going to babble endlessly on the good stuff, do the right thing. When things aren't so great. And you know what I love about the month of November? Besides the fact it's getting cooler, but the great overlap of sports. You know, with our, you know, the NFL season, you know, mid-November to Thanksgiving. This is when you know what your teams really are. College football's getting down to the nitty-gritty. As far as uh, who will be in the college football playoff. Oh, yeah, Cincinnati. <laughs> Still can't crack the top four. I can't believe that. Basketball and hockey also in the mix. I love it when college hoops get started. Uh, that great enthusiasm at the start of the season. So, uh, yeah, it's always great. Uh, you know, this is one of my favorite sports months of the year. I'd also would probably put, uh, you know, March in with that because of March Madness and baseball and all that good stuff going on. But, uh, yeah, it is great to be in the month of November. <laughs> All right, you follow him on Twitter at SignPez. So that's why we play the Seinfeld music. To bring in our friend to talk some UCF sports and more, Trace Trilco. Trace, great to have you back on the show once again. Thanks, it's been a while. Appreciate yes. being back on. Yes, it's always great to talk to you, my friend. And, uh, you know, let's uh, we got a lot to talk about with uh, UCF as far as that goes. So I uh, want to get your initial take overall take on what you think of Gus Malzahn's first season so far. It's been a little up and down, lots of injuries, uh, poor play on the road. Uh, give me your assessment of uh, of his first year. 
think it's going to be remembered for all of the injuries, right? That's the big, I don't know if it's asterisks, but, you know, it certainly has kept a cloud over this season. Um, I've thought about this a bit, and I think it's an interesting conversation. They're six and four after 10, one and four on the road, losses to Louisville, Cincinnati SMU, arguably maybe better teams than UCF. That Navy one really stings. But where would this team be under Josh Heupel? He didn't win the one-score games. And Gus has helped them, you know, defeat ECU at a one-score game. You know, you get the idea here. Maybe he's gotten a little bit more out of them considering you've lost Dylan Gabriel, Kalia Davis, and you know the list, the long list, uh, uh, ACLs and otherwise. Maybe he's just gotten a little bit more out of them than Josh Heupel would have. But no other way to look back on this season without thinking of all of the injuries. Yeah, most definitely for sure. And I think we see the importance of Isaiah Bowser when he's in the, in the lineup. What a difference he makes uh, with, with that running game. Certainly, and it's a departure from what UCF has had for a number of years, right? We had gotten used to an Adrian Killens, an Otis Anderson, a Greg McRae, a thinner, smaller, shiftier back. And what do we have in Isaiah Bowser? A bruiser, right? And you have to go back a while to, to find a guy in that mold for UCF. And what I love about Isaiah Bowser is just watch his legs. He churns for that second, third, fourth yard, right? And maybe that's why he gets dinged and banged up as much as he does and has during his career. He's just that type of back. Be interesting to see not only on recruiting, but the transfer portal, who in that mode, that model, UCF brings in uh, after Isaiah Bowser. Yeah, because we do know Gus likes those uh, those big backs in the power running game as well. Um, you know, it, it's also interesting to see, you know, we've gotten spoiled and used to, you know, 45 points a game to winning games, scoring 14 points. <laughs> yeah, from UCF fast to at times UCF fizzle. Uh, you know, I mean, a 14-10 win at home over Tulane that had been giving up more than 40 points per game. Um, you know, a win is a win, uh, but you and I have both lived through the George O'Leary days, and some of those were, you know, games in the trenches uh, and just slog fests, you know. Uh, I'm not saying I'm welcoming back the 37-second drives and the defense on the field for 42 minutes under Josh Heupel. you got to find the balance. Wins are wins, but – it's happening with a true freshman quarterback in Mikey Keene as well. You know, what would this team be if you didn't lose Dylan Gabriel? You know, maybe you win at Louisville. I mean, they had him until the last play of the game and they were behind, right? Uh, certainly beat Navy, right? They certainly beat Navy. Um, and it's hard to pin. I was in Dallas for the SMU game. We know that the defense is credited, if you will, with giving up more than 600 yards. But when the offense is three and out and they're right back on the field, you know, if Dylan were at the helm and they score there, now maybe you're getting into a scoring fest. Now maybe you still give up the 600 yards, but maybe you win 42-35 instead of losing 55-28. And what would you say your grade for Mikey Keene is, uh, you know, big shoes to fill, obviously, and he's a true freshman. You know, I thought at times he's looked pretty good. I kind of feel like they've been a little too conservative with him uh, in some regards, too. Uh, you know, what do you what do you think of that? 
You know, I, it's so difficult to just assess Mikey Keene without saying when he has Isaiah Bowser in the backfield, he plays better. And mm-hmm. so that's no disrespect to Johnny Richardson, but Bowser's that bruiser back. And imagine what this team would be like with Jacob Harris and Marlon Williams and Trey Nixon losing those three wide receivers, right? And you see a game two weeks ago where you have two wide receivers get targets. And, you know, Ryan O'Keefe double teamed. And, you know, if you watch the field, and sometimes that's difficult when you're watching on TV, they don't show you the wide expanse. Guys aren't getting open. They aren't getting separation. Is that all on Mikey Keene? I mean, he's a true freshman quarterback, right? He's going to hold on to the ball a little bit longer. He's going to lock into one wide receiver. He may telegraph things a bit. Certainly they've had the pick sixes this year, but he had a little bit more of a running game. Maybe the O-line, you know, they've started to, you know, fracture a little bit here, weaken a little bit down the stretch. Some wide receivers that could get open. So how do you grade him? You know, I mean, he had the five touchdown performance against uh, Temple, you know, 10 plus touchdowns. He's played like a freshman at times. The question is, though, and one we have mixed opinion in Night Nation, is he the future at quarterback? Yeah, that's a scene for sure. So what is your your thought now as, as you look at the defense? I think we've seen some up and down play there. Injuries have certainly been a factor on that side of the ball as well. Um, you know, I, I, I like there's more aggressiveness to this defense than, than we've had in the past. Uh, getting pressure on the quarterback at times and, uh, you know, tackles for loss, things like that. Um, what do you think of the job Travis Williams is doing? A work in progress. Um, do I long for the days of Randy Shannon? Uh, no. Uh, Eric Shenander? No. Uh, I like T. Will. Uh, he's got to work with the players that he has. And even in that mix of players he has, he's lost Kalia Davis. He now, after this game, has lost Bryson Armstrong leading tackler. Eric Gilliard entered the transfer portal. So you're seeing a lot of guys that – Uh, While it is next man up, and it's a question I asked of Coach Gus Malzahn during the Monday media availability. Yeah, it's next man up. But when you're inserting all these different guys, it's got to be disruptive. So not their guys. And then you don't even have all of them guys that you that you want. I don't know. They got they caught a break right before the Memphis game with a Memphis quarterback. You know, the regular starter doesn't. Yeah. You know, so you catch a break there. Right. Uh, they did struggle with the Malik Cunningham, the Louisville quarterback, getting to the guy on the edge. You know, they've struggled there. I didn't buy in completely during the wins over Memphis, Temple, and Tulane. I said, show me at SMU. 36 uh, first downs for SMU. Again, a lot of that's on the offense. Three and out, uh, you know, in field position game, two drives for the Knights that began at their own one. You watch the game and you're reliving the nightmares of that uh, experience. I like T. Will. I want to see what Gus Malzahn and his staff do with what is arguably, right, the highest rated at this point. We're a couple weeks out from early signing day. Arguably the best ranked recruiting class in number of, a number of all those star rankings and such. I want to see what they do when they've got some more of their own players. And we know with the transfer portal becoming such a thing that we essentially have free agency. And so while we may lose some guys, look, we picked up uh, Ricky Barber, 
and Big Cat and, and others through this transfer portal, Isaiah Bowser and the like, right? So they're going to get theirs as well. But with the recruiting classes coming in, number of guys who you may see on the field, right, as true freshmen next season. Are we rebuilding? Are we reloading? What does Gus Malzahn do in year two? Healthier guys, you know, and the big question, I guess, is is Dylan Gabriel back? And that's been a hot topic this week. Yeah, if so I did see that. Um, yeah, so what do you think? Is he is he is he coming back or or not? Who knows? <laughs> you know, I mean, I have no information. And uh, those that speculate and pontificate on social media and on message boards that don't name sources. You have a background in the media. You know about sourcing. Uh, you know, cite a parent. Say you talk to talk to a coach. Give me something. I don't know. Dylan may not know. Yeah. It would be wise for every player in every sport to consider their surroundings, to consider their major, to consider their playing time. Just as we see with coaches, they change jobs. You know, they recruit a kid. I'm going to be here with your son or daughter for four years or longer <laughs> until – you know, the next big offer comes along. How many coaches now have been fired during the season and getting big paydays, right? So, uh, you know, you know what I'm getting at here. I mean, what does Dylan want to do? It may only be within Dylan's mind. It may only be with Dylan and the conversation he has with his family. Remember, when Jeff Lebby didn't get the job and he took down some things on his social media, Night Nation went crazy, Oh, he's going to enter the portal. He's going to leave. Come on. We don't know how he heals. Everybody knows their own bumps and bruises. What may be three weeks for me, maybe two weeks for you. We can say he should be back. Do we want him playing in a fourth game against UConn to, to knock off a little rust? Do we want his first game back to be on Black Friday against their rivals over in Tampa? You want to hold him for a meaningless bowl game? in the cold of Washington, D.C. or Birmingham, Alabama in December? I don't know. I don't know what Dylan wants to do. Can Dylan make a lot more money on DG the brand at a Power Five conference? I don't know. Nobody knows. Yeah. That's, it's the big talk and speculation all this week. Yeah, I would yeah. be curious, as, you know, because like part of me does would not want him to rush back Uh for games at the season where you know we know what our we know what our ceiling is it's it's a it's as you mentioned a a bowl game it's not it's not the AAC championship it's not new year's six i i personally don't know if i would like to see him play this year at this stage and maybe come back healthy next year if he indeed is going to continue to be at ucf no disrespect to UConn, but they're averaging 15 points a game. Their only win is over Ivy League Yale. It's at home. UCF only two losses in the last several seasons, right? Five seasons at home. Not, and those two losses were during reduced capacity crowds during uh, the 2020 COVID-impacted season. So you look at that maybe as a seventh win, and then you have the Black Friday showdown. I'm not a big fan of the team over in Tampa, but they've been playing better. Uh, it's a more competitive game. I think this of UCF, you know, they weren't going to beat SMU 14-10. I don't think that was logical. I don't think they beat the Cows 14-10 either. So they're going to have to generate a little bit of offense. If that's a seventh win for UConn, an eighth win for the Cows. I mean, what's a successful season at this point? Is anything a successful season? I don't know. If Gus Malzahn can get eight wins, go to a bowl, eight and five, 
maybe nine and four. Remember George O'Leary's first year, you know, was from 0 and 11 to, to eight wins. You know, what's a successful season? And a lot of Knight fans' minds, got to win every game. Got to be in that AC championship game. Uh, got to be in a New Year's Six Bowl. Considering the rash of injuries, if you get to eight wins with the bowl or beating the cows, right, you got to beat your rival. Is it, does it turn out to be a successful season? So when Dylan's ready to play, uh, I, I'd have that conversation with him. Go, Coach Malzahn said that he was back with the team practicing. I don't know what that means. You know, he wouldn't elaborate. He was doing football things. I don't know. You know, what does that mean? Is he jogging around? Is he throwing the ball? Is he ready to get hit Saturday against UConn? I don't know. You know, I, I would not expect him against UConn. And, and then it remains to be seen whether you see him on Black Friday. Yeah, you, you mentioned something interesting, too, uh, because of, you know, what the fan expectations have been, you know, and, and we were talking a little bit about the uh, the Braves, uh, you know, my team winning the World Series before we started this. And, uh, you know, this is like the most euphoric feeling I've had as a sports fan since the 27-2018 run of 25 in a row and two New Year's Six Bowls. And even at the time when we're going through that week after week and knowing how historical it is, because 25 in a row is difficult to do in college football and seeing that now two years removed from that my appreciation for that goes up even more mm, good point good point and remember the gasparilla bowl win over marshall that capped a 10 and 3 season was considered a significant letdown for night nation mm. right you had gone from peach bowl and fiesta bowl auburn and lsu to gasparilla bowl in the cows rented stadium that the buccaneers use against marshall the old rival you know the conference usa days that old rival um but it was a successful season right and then josh heupel is looked down upon during a COVID impacted season. I know everybody was impacted by COVID, but you know, there were a number of players that opted out. UCF was amongst the nation's leaders with what was it? 10 guys uh, that did not play. Um, and it's certainly a defense that got torched and dismissals from the team. And it just, it didn't feel like a good year, a year that ends six and four, uh, right. During that impacted season. And now look at what are you looking at? Six and four, but trend line, right? 25 straight. What is it? 25 straight wins. Undefeated 17-18, a little bit of a trend line down for the Knights. What are your expectations? I think expectations continue to be reset based upon the injuries. And, um, you know, you don't want blowout losses like you faced and feel like you had a regression. What was most troubling to me about SMU was the, the lack of crisp, clean tackling. It seemed like a regression. Uh, after the previous weeks of, of looking to get better at that. Uh, so you hate to see that, but it's Coach Malzahn who said few teams get better over the course of the second half of the season, but he thought his team could. It did for a couple of games until Saturday against SMU. Mm. So can I ask you how your trip to Dallas was? Because, uh, you know, SMU is a trip I've made a lot over the years, like, you know, going back to Kevin Smith's, one of his all-time great performances came uh -huh. against SMU, uh, you know, and, and I was there in 18, uh, rather in 17, uh, when they, uh, you know, SMU gave him a tough game uh, in the month of November and got to do, I got to do the double that weekend, UCF SMU, and then a Cowboys Chiefs game the following nice. day. Nice. And the Cowboys are my team also. So that was a, that was a great weekend. How was your trip to Dallas? Uh, 
Good trip to Dallas. I've been fortunate this year, having sat out travel and home games in 2020, to have picked up five new venues. I'm not on a quest like a buddy of mine to get all of them. I'd be nice, but uh, unlikely. But I try and pick up at least one every year, a different UCF road game. And I picked up Cincinnati and SMU. There's so much to do in Dallas. And, you know, living in greater Orlando, Orlando's not that big. Dallas has got two airports, for crying out loud. It's huge. <laughs> uh, so between the barbecue and seeing folks and fellow night fans, uh, certainly not the outcome. But I think if you go on a road trip, where your only uh, measure of joy is going to be the outcome of a game played by college students that you're sitting there watching. That's not a good way to approach a road game. But if you take in the sights, you see some things, you have some meals, you go some places, you hang out with some folks, then the game is a part of what is a, an enjoyable weekend. By the way, my other ones were Cincinnati. I picked up Cincinnati. I'm just two AAC road venues away from getting all of them, Houston and Tulsa. Hmm. I figure if I miss Houston with the move to the Big 12, I might get them there. But Tulsa, I don't know when they'll appear on the schedule, the House of Horrors for the Knights. And uh, got Louisville. That was a new venue for me. And uh, two interesting ones. I may be one of the few people, if not the only person on the planet to uh, accomplish this. After Louisville on that Friday, went to Cincinnati, Indiana on Saturday. So I saw Cincinnati in Indiana and I saw UCF in Cincinnati. And then just a couple of weeks ago, visiting family in the Denver area, I picked up Boise State at Colorado State in Fort Collins, Colorado. So I got to see the new Colorado State venue, which means I saw Boise State at Colorado State and Boise State against UCF in Orlando. So I don't know how many people have seen Boise State twice and Cincinnati twice in person. You're the first one I know. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh so tell me about, you know, you because you mentioned the COVID year and everything was, uh, you know, Zoom related and all that stuff. And, you know, now you're going out to venues, you're actually getting to cover the team in person now. Once again, you got to feel like a bird getting out of the cage, right? <laughs> yeah, with some trepidation, you know, it's still a strange world. I don't know what the new norm, you know, that phrase we grew to hate over the last year or so, what it means, uh, you know, distancing in the press box and 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 the like it's still it's still different but uh, i i missed it uh, i enjoy it even in a loss to to be there just uh, six feet away or so from coach malzahn and uh be able to ask him about his perch his platform as he uh, is on crutches recovering from the fractured tibia to be able to ask him about that and get his candid answer that he wasn't a big fan of how it uh felt for him to be disconnected from the team uh, those are moments that I missed and uh, I'm glad to be back. Yeah, no question. And one other topic I wanted to hit on too, uh, uh, you know, because you brought it up earlier, talked about uh, the transfer portal, name, image, and likeness, uh, you know, and the NIL is new this season. Transfer portal's been around at least a couple of seasons. What do you think those impacts have been on UCF and college football in general? And do you like them? Mm. You know, it's funny. I've talked so much about both topics, but not really thought about whether I like it uh, or, or much. I think we've seen with NIL that most won't benefit from it. Uh, you know, I mean, your your shortstop on your softball team, eh, probably not. You know, your tennis player, probably not bankrolling a lot of money. Even on UCF, you've got some minor deals uh, for the football players. I don't know what Dylan Gabriel's pocketing with DG the brand, but you know maybe it's not a lot, right? So some programs have benefited. 
certainly the universities make a ton of money off these kids. And, uh, you know, if done above boards, which, of course, is questionable, maybe with some programs and what they're willing to exchange to get a recruit, you know, all those stories. I think it's probably been minimally a disruption. Uh, and I don't know. The beat goes on. I don't I guess as a fan, I don't really care at the end of the day. Um, as for the transfer portal, yeah, it's existed for a while. You know, the last number I saw was, I believe, was 28% of kids that entered the transfer portal landed in a new place. You know, that's the dice they roll. They look at their playing time. That's a balance the coaches have to have, right? You know, how much playing time you give a kid and can he or she, depending on the sport, do better somewhere else, right? The, the transfer portal giveth and it taketh away. And no one in Night Nation was crying with Ricky Barber and Big Cat. Bryant and others that they had lured from other programs. And even in that portal, right, there's wide receiver. Remember the coveted five-star wide receiver, Jordan Johnson from Notre Dame. Who? Have we seen him? Not much, you know? So, and, and you see some of the guys uh, on UCF, you go, who? Who is that? Exactly. Not getting the playing time. I wish them well. You know, they're college students. I want them to get their degrees. I remember George O'Leary saying less than 2% of kids that play on Saturdays end up playing on Sundays anywhere from the NFL to the CFL. So get your degree. And if where you can do that also gives you a little more playing time, you know, uh, Daryl Mack at Old Dominion and you know all the rest that have moved on to the places. Good luck to them. Uh, once a night, always a night. Um, so it's how coaches manage that. And uh, UCF has an interesting task on its hand, right? How many scholarships do you allot during the early signing period? How many do you hold back? How many transfers do you poach out of that portal? How many guys do you anticipate losing? I don't think right now, back to Dylan Gabriel, I don't know that Dylan Gabriel knows and that he's shared anything with coaches. Maybe they're just panicky a little bit as well. You know, how do you, they're, they're recruiting a quarterback for the future. And is Mikey Keene that guy? You know, those are questions that go through their mind. Managing your roster, perhaps a little bit different than the Florida head coach thinks and speaks of, is a year-round, day-in and day-out thing with all of the different variables. It is different than it used to be. And it is what makes college football so exciting, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting, though, because, you know, it used to be the only difference between a pro coach and a college coach was the recruiting aspect. And, you know, and now with the essential free agency that exists with the transfer portal and the playing time and all this, you know, and, and, and college football free agency is even more free than NFL free agency, you know. There's there's not a lot, not not much way attached of strings, so guys can pick up and go. So it is interesting to see how that dynamic has uh, impacted college football coaches. Everybody except for maybe Nick Saban, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, uh, Nick Saban gets whoever he wants uh, on recruiting day and through the portal and as need be, right? <laughs> but you know, it, it also speaks in a, a theme this college football season. Uh, here we are in week 10, UCF at six and four, bowl eligible, only bowl eligible team in the state for two weeks now. Best record in the state, right? For Florida, Florida State, Miami, and the rest. Uh, the parity in college football, that's also what the transfer portal has done. And what does a kid want to do, right? Does he want to get playing time? There's certainly positions on UCF that if a kid's looking to transfer and make an immediate name for himself, and you know the record of UCF putting guys into the pros and the NFL in particular, 
a wide receiver transfer, you can come here and make a name for yourself. You know, Mike Hughes, look at Mike Hughes parlayed one season into some big NFL money and, and there are other guys. So UCF remains uh, a viable destination, not only from an NIL pursuit, but also uh, in terms of playing time and, and just the mix of things. It's an interesting time to be a coach in, uh, in the NCAA. Yeah, and of course, uh, the other piece of that is uh, is realignment because you know now you you look at uh, uh, teams are moving around like free agents. It looks like all to the detriment of Conference USA, uh, which is a shamble shell of itself, uh, or soon will be. Um, it'll be interesting to see too because one of the things I was thinking about, you know, with uh, you know. There's been a lot of comparisons between Cincinnati's run and our run of 17 and 18. And the fact, you know, that you know, we did a lot of the door knocking and the paving of the way for them. Cincinnati has, you know, because, you know, people want us to capitalize on that run of success that we had because we didn't do it after the first Fiesta Bowl. You know, we ended up having a winless season two years later. Um Cincinnati will actually have an advantage going forward after their run because they're going to a, a power five, which UCF did not after their run. So I'd be curious uh, your thoughts on 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 that in the UCF Cincinnati comparisons and uh, in the fact that, you know, that they're they're still outside of the top four looking in at number five. They've gotten as high as anybody has gotten, but they're still under a ceiling. Certainly Boise State many years ago began to pave the way for UCF and the noise that it made for all of the little bit of revisionist history that college football watchers night fans have maybe about Danny white and his national championship claim. It helped knock down some more barriers, right? Uh, I, I am not as a UCF alum in any way, shape or form for Cincinnati to do anything good uh, because we're going into the same league with them. And what a tremendous recruiting advantage. Luke Fickle's already proven himself to be a good recruiter, uh, you know, and amongst the tops uh, year in and year out under him in, in the AAC. So I'm not interested in them having any advantage. I mean, it stings for them to be five. I just as soon see them lose to Houston and it not make any difference and then go to the military bowl. I, I mean, I, you know, but I don't, I don't wish them to have that advantage. I, I think they remain on the outside looking in. I think they're going to make every excuse possible. You see the narratives. Did they beat Tulane enough? Did they be, you know, nobody's talking about that when maybe some other programs don't win by as much. They're not saying the same thing, you know, in the head to heads, you know, you got Michigan, Michigan state, who are you going to rank higher? The one that lost to the other because of statistics. We don't have to watch the games. That says the committee chair uh, when they announced the field, uh, we look at statistics. Okay. Right. You know, I'm not a big fan of this invitational and the way it's conducted. I am for that expansion, giving more opportunity for teams I mean, back to baseball, right? Look at the Braves, you know, in, in college football, there'd be no Braves. And, you know, the other sports where those Cinderella's come out and make the game so much fun. Um, so the, the, the realignment is, is interesting. And, uh, you know, Houston's having a good year. They move in uh, to the Big 12 as well. And BYU, perennially, is a tough out. You know, home or away, you're going to get a hard game with BYU. So of all this conference shuffling and realignment, certainly the Big 12 poached the best four available. And then the dominoes fall everywhere else. And uh, what I really think it speaks to, it's certainly at the Conference USA level, is that there are just too many schools that are trotting out 1A programs that are not 
you know, no disrespect to them, but maybe a middle Tennessee or Western Kentucky just maybe isn't meant to be FIU. Certainly we've seen the news this week uh, of the shambles that uh, are happening in real South Florida in Miami at FIU. Too many of these programs seek riches by jumping up. When you look at the conference USA TV money, not a lot of dollars there, you know, just too many of them, too many games. I'm just glad that UCF has made that long journey through the wilderness uh, through various divisions and levels. Heck, they were in the MAC for a while, which made zero sense. Uh, and Conference USA was a life raft that was a, a good move for them. And certainly the American, uh, that's cut both ways. UCF has helped the American. I'm sure in some ways the platform, the American has helped UCF. It's a natural evolution to grow to where they're going next. So let's talk a little uh, UCF basketball and three and zero start. And I will call myself cautiously optimistic because it is November. Um, but at you know on the surface, you look at this team. It's a lot of returning players, a lot of athleticism. Uh, you know, playing hard defense, uh, and they look to be pretty deep. Uh, what is your assessment uh, to their start so far? Nothing there to disagree with. Uh, certainly a little bit of a struggle on Tuesday night against Jacksonville. Live by the three, die by the three. They got a couple of late threes from Brandon Mann, just 7 to 24 on the night. Shooting percentage much, much better for Jacksonville. Jacksonville had the edge on the boards, but nobody's going to remember the score of that game when you, you go 3-0. and I thought about this when they went to Miami. A hard-fought 95-89 win on the road. I don't know that Miami's going to turn out to be that good, but that's a game you just want to win. You know, you know the name Miami means a little bit more in any sport than Jacksonville. And so maybe they're not a great team. Maybe Jacksonville's not a great team, but you'd rather be on the win side of those games. I think cautiously optimistic is the right phrase. They uh, hit the road on Saturday. The big one, maybe hopefully they're not looking ahead, Oklahoma on the Saturday following Thanksgiving, which is a high profile matchup. They're deep. Uh, if they can stay healthy, uh, you know, they're diverse, they're fast. They press on defense. Interesting, though, will be, is the AAC, they're projected fifth. Is the AAC a five-bid league? I, I don't think so. Three bids? Probably. Four? Maybe. Meaning that if they finish fifth, NIT. They're looking at the NIT. Will that be satisfying for fans? And if they don't want to finish fifth, then they're going to have to knock out a Cincinnati, a Memphis, a Wichita State. And some of those places have been difficult for UCF to win if they've ever won in some of those road venues. So we'll see. You know, it's exciting. You know how this is. The non-conference schedule is sort of that preseason. They got Michigan coming up, Florida State. So they got some high-profile games, opportunities there. But you look at that conference slate, that's where night in and night out, even the weakest team is going to give you a game, especially in their venue. Is an 11 and seven, they go back to 18 game schedule, is an 11 and seven realistic? Again, I'm telling you, they can't lose at Tulsa, at Memphis, at Cincinnati, at Houston, at Wichita State. That's five road losses right there. I'm, I'm not looking at their schedule to know that they, there's one, I think, of those, maybe Cincinnati, they only face at home. I don't, you know how that goes. There's two opponents. You're going to have to win some of those road games, right? And you know they're going to be difficult every night. Can you then beat those same teams? At home, we're going to find out. They're going to be battle-tested, but having those super seniors back 
after a very COVID-impacted season, stops and starts, a lot of depth, guys that we saw last year playing night in and night out haven't moved off the bench so far in three games. And if you're not getting in against Jacksonville, um, then maybe you're not going to be getting in. And uh, they go 10 deep, and they'll settle on a rotation, but it's nice to have that depth. Uh, the transfer from UNLV to Young, I, I love him. Uh, you know, and that's and we know Johnny Dawkins likes to have that big patroller in the middle. I mean, he's he's not Taco Fall, but he's six eleven. He blocks shots, he alters shots, he rebounds, and he can get garbage points. Uh, I really love that addition to the team. There's a confidence and a swagger that he exhibits on the floor as well. He's not Taco Fall. That doesn't mean that he can't be a sizable presence for UCF, uh, and he just moves up and down the court with a greater ease than Taco Fall. So, yes, great addition uh, to the Knights, a good presence. Can they get consistent scoring? And, again, I mentioned the live by the three, die by three. What do they do when they don't have those threes falling? Again, wasn't pretty at times. Took a late run, but they beat Jacksonville at home Tuesday night. And you're going to need to win some ugly games, and maybe that came against Jacksonville and prepares them uh, down the line. Yeah, and I like like the fact Darren Green has added added some mid range to his game, um, which I think you know more guys do that. You can offset those bad three point shooting nights. Yeah, and he leads the team in scoring 16 points a game. Uh, he's had a good start. You know, they've been pretty good from the free throw line, too. And in years past, that's been a struggle against Miami. 24 of 27 from the free throw line. Well, you know, what do they call them? They call them free, right? Th- those are points. Yep. And uh, Brandon Mahan uh, went 10 of 10 from the line. And a lot of those down the stretch at Miami. That's important for a team that in years past has struggled from the free throw line. So you see the ingredients. We'll see where we get. You know, basketball is both a short season and a long season. We're in November. We're ways away from March Madness. You got two games a week. It's pretty competitive. Be interesting to see as this evolves how many comparisons we make to that NCAA tournament team of just a couple of seasons ago. Could this be a better team than that one? Uh, They still got some uh, challenges ahead of them. Got some doing to do on that for sure. But, uh, you know, you mentioned the run of opponents in, in, in the conference and you're talking about the top half of the conference. And as you mentioned, the lower part of the conference uh, is still going to give you, you know, there are no nights off. And I really think about the you, the strength of the league. You know, you're already talking, you know, Houston and Memphis are top 15 teams. Uh, you know, so this is a heavyweight schedule when they go in conference. Certainly, and, and I'd throw this question out to you. Is there a sport besides basketball, a bit more, you know, bigger than basketball, that this leap to the Big 12 is huge, right? I mean, UCF goes into that Big 12, and you got to put them in the bottom third right off the bat, right? Bottom half, bottom third. The recruiting that's going to be necessary to compete against the best league, uh, of the NCAA, oh, we won't get that far ahead. We're a couple of seasons perhaps away from that, but you know from where they're going to go now. And by the way, Houston and Cincinnati move into that league. So, you know, this is a good test right now with a pretty veteran lineup, but you know the recruiting necessary to take on those heavyweights in the Big 12. There's going to be some really good basketball uh, coming to the uh, uh, UCF campus in just a couple of years from the Big 12. But the league they've been has has been good for a number of years now. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. I think about that, you know, 
we get a UCF Kansas matchup on the hardwood. That's <laughs> that's a that's going to be interesting to see. Uh, that's for sure. So it's cur- uh, I'm curious to see what the fan support will be like when they make that move. You know, uh, we talk about sometimes the marquee opponents in football. Do people really want to go out to see ECU? Okay. But in basketball, Kansas, are they going to fill that arena uh, to see Kansas and and the rest? You know, I mean, these are some big names in college basketball. Uh, We're going to see the best of the best coming soon. Yeah, no question about that. So uh, one of the things uh, I like on uh, having Trace on the show for is he likes to play in our TV theme uh, roulette. So we're going to give a listen to Trace's uh, choice and talk about that. And let's hear that now. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. Your next stop, the Twilight Zone. All right, Trace, tell everybody about your TV theme. The Twilight Zone. <laughs> oh, the classic TV show. I just remember, it, you know, I'm, I didn't, I wasn't around when it originally aired. I just see it in reruns. And, you know, each story was self-contained, but and I don't know how much of an aficionado you are, but you ever see the, obviously there's the William Shatner episode with the, he sees the alien on the, the, uh, the wing of the airplane. That is a terrifying episode, you know, that I don't think about that every time I fly, but I'm not going to tell you, I haven't thought about it sometimes when <laughs> I have flown, but the one that really gets me still is there was an episode, uh, with Burgess Meredith, the actor Burgess Meredith, and, uh, you know, uh, love to read and didn't like people and just wanted to be left alone and just wanted to read. And he's in the basement of the library and somewhere along the line, a nuclear holocaust goes on and he emerges and he's the only one living. How this works, of course, it's, it's TV and he's the only one living and he, and he goes, I have all the time in the world to read and he stumbles and he breaks his glasses. And now he cannot read. And he's all alone with all of his books, but he cannot read. And that was always a twist and that turn uh, that uh, Rod Serling was so good, the creator and those writers. And it's a, a show, a historic show in the annals of TV and uh, a very familiar theme. Yes. One that kind of immediately creeps you out a little bit. <laughs> when you hear it. Uh, yeah, ran on CBS 1959 and 1964. And of course, it has spawned a feature film, a TV film, uh, a second series ran in the 80s and in syndication and a fourth series for Jordan Peele, uh, 2019 and 2020 on CBS All Access. So it, uh, it's had a few lives, but certainly is nothing as good as the original. And I'm not sure which of the streaming services it's on now. It might be on Paramount or Netflix, but you can go back and watch. And, you know, sometimes you talk to people, what do I want to watch a show from 1957 from? It's good. It's, it's, it's 22 minutes. It's good. It'll creep you out every once in a while. Make you think at least a little on some episodes. And again, some of these episodes that William Shatner won amongst others are just classic in the history of TV. Outstanding. Well, thank you for the selection and uh, thank you for being on the show. Of course, everybody can follow you at SignPez on Twitter. And uh, of course, you'll be on the uh, Sons of UCF live stream, uh, which I got coming up this week. 
Yeah, we stream uh, Thursday nights, unless it's Wednesday before Thanksgiving, but typically Thursday nights from eight to nine uh, on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. So if you follow the Sons of UCF on any or all of those, uh, we'll go live. Uh, anticipating former UCF quarterback Nick Patty about 8.15. We're going to talk about Dylan Gabriel uh, maybe a little on SMU. I don't know how much on UConn. Maybe we'll be talking about some of the topics you and I have discussed about is Mikey Keene the guy going forward and speculate recklessly and endlessly about Dylan Gabriel. Uh, and then we've got some other surprises lined up. Take people's questions. Got some sound from Coach Malzahn and basketball. We're going to talk a little hoops. And, uh, you know, it's the fastest hour of my week. Uh, we stream 8 to 9. And, again, you can follow me at SignPez on Twitter. I'll keep you updated with clips and sound from various UCF press conferences during the week and all things nights. Outstanding. Trace, thanks again. Thank you, Jeff. And with that, we are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at JeffAllen underscore 88, on Facebook at JeffAllen88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble hot spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer Self is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.